Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime, and we do it six nights a week, live every week. And uh, just dealing with a slight tech issue, an audio issue, we are here. And uh, one issue I cannot control is Mother Nature as a massive storm is overhead here in Miami. So suddenly your screen goes black. That's what it is. It's uh, it's Mother Nature. There's nothing that can be done. I'm surprised it has not happened already. But uh, tonight, a super interesting show with even more interesting guests. Missouri police are now investigating whether Thomas Hazlitt Jr., who's accused of holding a woman captive for a month as a sex slave in a dungeon uh, in his Missouri home near Kansas City last October. They're wondering, is he also responsible for the murder of another woman discovered in a blue barrel floating in the Missouri River this past June? And is it possible he could be a serial killer? These are questions both the community and law enforcement is asking best guest. You've seen her before, Lisa Daddio. She is a retired police lieutenant with the New Haven Police Department in Connecticut. She spent about 16 years in the detective division since retiring more than 10 years ago. Uh, she has worked in higher education, teaching courses at both the undergraduate and graduate level at the University of New Haven. Detective Phil Ramos, he's a retired senior homicide detective and doing yeoman's work for us, doing some extra time. Uh, he was with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, 35 years of service. The last 15 years were in homicide, 12 years undercover. I always say this resume goes on and on and on. Three-time Officer of the Year Award, a native Las Vegan. He infiltrated the Cuban mob. He was there for Tupac Shakur's autopsy, confirming his death. And he loves riding his Harley. And uh, Ken Larson has, believe it or not, an even longer resume, but I got the abbreviated version. He is new to the show. Everyone be kind like you are at STS Nation. Ken Larson, a detective and task force officer, retired from Fairfax County Police. And he is also retired from the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. A couple of quick programming notes. We've been doing some fundraisers for Maui. Uh, tonight, you can still purchase merchandise in the STS merch store. All the merch purchased purchase this past week, it's all going to help the great state of Hawaii and uh, the people of Maui in particular. There is the QR code. You can scan it right off of our screen. Uh, we're really trying to do our little part to help. I've said it before, Jeff Bezos donated $100 million. We're trying to donate maybe three, $4,000 if we can. Uh, doing all doing our part. So uh, STS Nation, please step up. I'm getting dragged three quarters of the way across the nation. By the way, I had coffee today, which is why I'm all amped up right now. I'd never have coffee and uh, I will probably be fading heavy in a little bit. But uh, tomorrow night, Phil Ramos, I will not be here, but Phil Ramos is going to be on your YouTube screens and on your audio podcast. I did an interview with him for Surviving My Biggest Case the guy has stories for days, and it's going to be out tomorrow about how he infiltrated Pablo Escobar's drug operation back in 1983 and almost died as a result. You do not want to miss that. Sunday night, Carol Baskin of Tiger King 
Carm and I interviewed her. We're reposting that. Hear what, what Carol Baskin had to say about, uh, what Carm, Carol Baskin, I should say, had to say about Carm. That's Sunday night. That's an oldie but a goodie. And Monday, look at this, Lisa Daddio. I didn't even do this on purpose. Surviving my biggest case. And her story is amazing as well. She investigated the murder, you may remember, of Annie Lay. She was a graduate student at Yale University, murdered on campus and uh, hidden in a, uh, a wall of a closet. Uh, an incredible story, a sad one, but uh, worth listening to. That is the next three days. And then we're back live Tuesday night with Kerry Rawson. And I'm trying to get Ann Burgess on with her. And we've got Mac coming on. There's a lot of news uh, with Dennis Rader, who is Kerry Rawson's father, uh, otherwise known. Uh, he called himself the BTK serial killer. Uh, there is now evidence emerging that he may have killed others. It's a massive story. Kerry has been deluged with requests. Uh, we talk back and forth all the time. I just want to make sure she's okay. She agrees. So uh, Tuesday, you know, it gives her a little breathing room and she's going to come on and you do not want to miss that show because that's as inside as you can get as uh, authorities continue to investigate uh, her father's heinous crime. So without further ado, uh, that was a hugely long intro. Glad to have all of our guests. Uh, just let me lay the land real quick for tonight's story. So authorities uh, in the Kansas City area are now continuing to investigate. They found a woman, uh, her remains, I should say, in an, inside of a blue barrel on the Missouri River back in June. Uh, and they believe that this guy, Timothy Hazlitt, we're going to get a photo of him up in a minute, uh, is a potential suspect. There he is, and there's his home. And his home is very important because there was a sex dungeon in that basement, reportedly, where he held another woman. And uh, this case has actually blown open some issues specifically regarding how police treat missing or endangered black women. So even before we get there, uh, Phil Ramos uh, you worked in Vegas, uh, a city that, that never sleeps like New York, with a fair share, because these two women we're talking about tonight, um, it hasn't been disclosed publicly, but just more broadly that they, you know, come from a marginalized background. Some were drug addicts. Some may have been sex workers. Um, is there a tendency, uh, Detective Ramos, to, I don't know, let these types of people sometimes slip through the cracks. That's been the criticism. And then we'll get to some of the details uh, going on. Detective Ramos. You know, on, on occasion, that becomes um, one of the questions that we will inevitably, inevitably get when we have a case where we don't have a lot of cooperating witnesses, when uh, the witnesses themselves are not very reputable. Um, so it's not that they just slip through the cracks. It's one of those one of those investigations that you don't have a lot to go on. And, you know, like most jurisdictions, uh, you know, we run from murder to murder to murder. And unless you've got a lot of good solid leads to follow up on right away, then that goes on the shelf when you pick up the next murder coming down. Um, I know that there's a uh, people who will perceive the cops as not caring about prostitutes. That's just not true. Um, we've discussed this before. The majority of victims of serial killers are sex workers. And so that's why we pay so much attention to victims that appear to be, that either are sex workers and are the victims of a, of a serial killer or um, not, necess not necessarily a serial killer, but a spree killer sometimes. So 
I know that that perception is out there, but it's not for lack of effort on the cops part. When your investigative leads run out, they run out and you, you know, you can't create them. You can't make them happen. So you have to just go where the evidence takes you and, and trust that your witnesses are, um, you know, worth following up on. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Uh, I didn't even know Detective Ramos two weeks ago. Now he's one of the best friends, best guests of the show. And the guy brings invaluable insight. And you heard what he says holds a lot of water here, which is they don't have a lot of people cooperating. Uh, that is, police do not. And that's maybe why this investigation kind of took the form that it did. Uh, Mitzvah, hello from the UK. Uh, Ken doesn't know, but this is a very global show. She says she's laying in bed, dozing uh, on and off. There's a word in Hebrew, a mitzvah, do a mitzvah. That's a good deed. And stay awake. You can't fall asleep during Surviving the Survivor. So stay awake and uh, be with us. Nancy Drew, just the crime, the crime, Nancy Drew. You've got the best guest, Joel. That is true. Um, Lisa Daddio. Um, so these two uh, victims in this case, one is dead, sadly. Uh, they have names. Uh, Janie Crosdale. Crosdale is a woman who uh, washed up in a blue barrel. Her body was in a severe state of decomposition. Uh, there was a woman who escaped from a sex dungeon, and uh, she's just being identified, 22 years old, as TJ. And that happened back in October. Um, now, the police chief in Excelsior Springs, where this sex dungeon is and was, um, he has come out publicly and he says now that he believes Timothy Hazlitt is uh, a potential suspect. Um, he has been arraigned and in, uh, indicted, I should say. He's being held on, I believe, a $3 million bond. And they tried to raise his bond, but the judge wouldn't do it, saying he's indigent. Um, what do police do now? You've got these two separate women, uh, both young black women, uh, again, kind of from marginalized backgrounds, uh, possible sex workers, possible uh, drug addiction, both of them. Um, and one is dead. One escapes from uh, this guy's hands, this perpetrator's hands. If you're law enforcement now, and this happened, the, the escaping from the sex dungeon happened in October, um, what are you doing now all these months later? It's like 10, 11 months later to try to put the pieces together. Right. So, I mean, it's vast right now. First thing you're going to do, you're going to want to look at missing person reports. And, and that was an issue, if I'm not mistaken, in this case, is that both the victims, the deceased and the survivor, were not reported missing um, at the time. So when the survivor was found, nobody even had known that she was missing, is my understanding. And it's the same thing for the victim they found in the barrel. So what law enforcement is going to start with is they're going to start looking for any females that fit the same general description as these females do and see if there's anything there. That's number one. Come up with a list of missing females that are similar. Number two is comb through his property and his house and, and seizing everything and having everything forensically analyzed to see whose DNA, whose fingerprints, anything that may come up in that house that tie more individuals to that. A little bit of like finding a needle in a haystack, not knowing, you know, how clean the house is, how is, you know, and then trying to figure out are possible other victims DNA even in the system um, is definitely gonna be a thing. 
looking at his backyard, getting ground penetrating radar to see if there's anything buried back there. We know the blue barrels are a big thing right now in this case. Um, that There were blue barrels found on his property. The deceased victim was found in a blue barrel. Um, they're going to be looking at connections between the barrel that the victim was found in and the barrels that are in his property to see if there are any connections there. I mean, there's a lot of work that has to be done uh, that no doubt is being done with this case and the partners to law enforcement, both state and federal law enforcement agencies as well. Uh, shout out to Hidden True Crime. Uh, a rising tide lifts all ships. They are uh, a competitor and friends. Hidden True Crime, a great true crime podcast uh, coming out. They did this story. You guys should check it out. Uh, I believe earlier this week, um, these guests are insightful. Thank you, STS. Thank you uh, for joining the chat. I appreciate it. I saw a comment from you. Uh, which I was trying to track down, but uh, doing nine things at once makes that difficult. But uh, the gist of uh, Hidden True Crime's comment was that they were absolutely targeted because there were these marginalized black women. Ken Larson, uh, do you agree with that assessment? And welcome to uh, Surviving Survivor. Hope this is the first of many, Ken. Oh, just have to unmute yourself. I'm sorry. See, I'm a rookie. So thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Though, yeah. I think one uh, one comment that was already that was already brought up was there's gonna they're gonna have to get a team a mass of of, of resources, right? Um, yes, this case is probably going to be solved forensically, but I I have to maybe expand that a little bit because I guess from what I understand, this guy had been on dating websites. And forensically, I think you may have more evidence and more details as to what you find on his computer, or because I'm sure he, um, I think he, somebody said that he was um, using a drone. So he's probably computer savvy. There's going to be so much evidence on that computer and his phone and uh, his IP history and so forth. So uh, I think that's another uh, bit of resources that we're just going to have to uh, go in and tear up his uh, history and how he met and who he met all these people that um, is is going to be a, a, an important part of him probably getting convicted along with the other obvious signs um, but as far as uh, his history with meeting individuals in the neighborhood I'm, I'm sure as as a detective and have working have worked sex crimes and, and missing young kids it is extremely frustrating for us when we don't get cooperation i mean we want to go out there i can honestly say that you know we we do not have at least i could speak for myself and i could speak for my for teammates that i've worked with that we work diligently in solving these cases. We want to because we, we have a personal um, vest in it. That's, that's just where we, that's just kind of people we are. Um, we have that uh, burn in our gut. And when we don't get cooperation from um, witnesses, uh, potential witnesses, it's, it's frustrating. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I, I think that, um, it sounds like with the use of the barrels, and I think also he was um, he was a mechanic or something, and he had a lot of cars being towed out of his house. Who know what was? Who knows what was in those cars? Who knows what was in those barrels? 
I mean, if they found that barrel in the water, I'm sure there's other ones out there. So, yeah, they have a lot of work forensically, um, digitally. Uh, that, that's that's where you're that's where you're going to get your 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 answers. Yeah, you're that's hearing some, hey, you're hearing some of the best minds in uh, in investigative work uh, talking about that, and uh, talked about the drone. Uh, the computer. Uh, we heard a guest recently say that the router is the single most important piece of evidence you can get now uh, in a lot of investigations. I'm sure they have Timothy Hazlitt's uh, router from his home. It's a strange world now that pretty much everyone in their home has a router with all that information. Uh, catch up, big friend of the show, a potential witness by the name of Janie Crosdale. We're going to talk about the blue barrels, by the way, and we're also going to talk about a, a billboard that went up, but she's asking, uh, she went missing uh, on February 14th of this year. Has she been found? She is sadly the woman that was found in the blue barrel and uh, police put up some controversial billboards with her uh, looking for her prior to when she went missing. Uh, try to get information about the other case I'm gonna tell you about right now. And then we're gonna pick Phil Ramos's brain again. So again, there are two women, uh, just one just uh, identified as TJ, uh, the other one, Janie Crosdale, I hope I'm saying that. Yep, Janie Crosdale, just want to double check uh, on her name, make sure I am saying it correctly. So TJ, this goes back to last October, 2022. Uh, she was barely cl clothed. Uh, she had a metal collar fastened around her neck, and I saw Shaquille O'Neal say that this is one sick puppy, and it is. Uh she told police that she escaped from a sex dungeon in Timothy Hazlitt's basement, and uh, she ran over to a neighbor's home who helped save her. Uh, she was obviously being held against her will for almost a month. And uh, in there, she was uh, tied up, whipped, and raped repeatedly. Um, she was the only known victim in this case at that time. Uh, I'm just curious, Phil, because your career is so long and storied. Have you dealt with something similar, like a sex slave being held against her will? Um, I can't imagine the trauma this victim is going through right now and trying to help police. You know, sadly, I have, but they didn't survive. Um, we found them after they had expired being held in that dungeon. And, and I mean, this reeks of silence of the land stuff here. Um, I think Lisa pointed out that, you know, this dungeon, there's going to be a plethora of evidence down in there. Uh, DNA evidence, because surely this guy, this wasn't the first girl. Um, this TJ wasn't the first girl who was held in there, and I'm sure this guy didn't go in there and clean up after each victim. So one would expect quite a bit of DNA evidence from that portion of the house. And, and um, you know, like Ken was saying, his di digital footprint is going to be massive. And I, I in, in briefing myself on this case, there was quite a bit of stuff taken originally from um, Hazlitt's house bags and bags of evidence. So um, how far they've gotten it as far as examining that evidence is hard to say, but they're keeping keeping this information pretty close as they should. The one the one thing I'm curious about is, is why they first thought that Janie was a witness to some of these crimes. Um, you know, I read that and I thought, well, they're saying she's a witness and now they find her floating down, you know, a river in a barrel. So what, what happened? Um, I'd be curious to find out why they considered her a potential witness early on. Does it, does that sound to you, Phil, like they, uh, and I, I am the biggest supporter of law enforcement that there is, but did they drop the ball since it sounds like they had her name and her picture or ID and everything? Uh, she was obviously 
you know, missing. I don't think she was ever reported missing, but it sounds like police knew about her. Do you think from what you know that they dropped the ball potentially? You know, I, I hate to use that term. I would, I would say that they probably could have done a better job than they did, but not knowing the circumstances around um, the entire investigation, it's hard to say. It's hard to say why they weren't able to follow up on any more information about um, Janie. And if she disappeared back in February and she was just found not too long ago, um, I would certainly think that she probably wasn't in that barrel since February because there'd be very little left of her in that barrel. I mean, water does a terrible thing, as as we know out here at Lake Mead. The bodies we recovered out at Lake Mead, but um, I, I'd be curious to know from the time she left until the time she was found in that barrel, did anybody have contact with her, or what was she doing in that time frame? Uh, Lisa Daddio, Coco and Kittens raises an interesting point, and this has been you know one of the outcries yeah. from this case that is still ongoing. Someone literally told police that there was a serial killer only killing black women, and they dismissed it over and over. Um, your response, because that has been the uh, allegation against the uh, various local law enforcement um, departments involved here. And, and I saw that as well. So I, I think one of the um, big issues is you can say something like that, but is there something to back up that statement? And, and I know that sounds really cold and callous, but it isn't because we hear it all the time on a lot of different things. But we can't just go by, hey, this is happening without some other type of proof. So, again, back to what I said you know, earlier, what other missing reports do we have? Was there anything about this guy in particular? Are there any neighbor reports? Kind of all that kind of stuff to support that there's a serial killer or there's somebody out there killing black women. A lot of information is also going to come from the uh, population. Um, I don't want to call them street workers because that just totally disintegrates and, and degrades the fact that they were victims of this horror that they lived. Uh, both, you know, God only knows what happened um, to the victim that was found in the barrel prior to that. Um, but talking to those individuals as well to find out what is going on and having the trust, which is also very hard to, to happen a lot of times with these types of individuals. They have to trust law enforcement and vice versa, and even bigger, respect one another. Um, despite what it is that they do, you have to respect it. And then, you know, hopefully they'll give some more information and we'll be able to find who those other victims may be that are missing that could be involved with this case and not to say, you know, there's somebody out there killing. Well, what are you basing that on? Where is that information coming from? And what can law enforcement do with that information? Uh, Jenna, very glad I came across this channel. So are we glad to have you. Always love seeing new faces and names. Welcome to Surviving Survivor. Best guess, but better community, as I like to say. Uh, Deb McCall says, good evening, SDS Nation. Always the best guest. You're seeing why tonight already. Uh, Miss Enigma, good morning from Australia. Lest you not think we are an international show. Uh, we are the future because it is the next day in Australia. You really always do have uh, the best guests. And then, Ken, back to you on this from Hidden True Crime. Once again, great podcast. Check them out. 
Uh, they have still never called Janie a victim, even today. Law enforcement is still calling her a witness, despite her being found dead and decomposing in a barrel. Um, why do you think that is, Ken? I hate to speculate, um, and quite frankly, I don't know, considering that I, they, I, from what I understand, she has been 100% identified, correct? Yes. So... I don't see how a person could be missing when she's been identified, even though now that she's deceased. So I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I don't know if they responded to that request or that answer. I, as far as I know, they this, yeah, they as far not. as I know, they have not. I, I, I don't know, because once somebody's been identified, they're no longer clearly missing. Uh, a lot of great questions. I'm not T-Pain, a regular uh, friend of the show, always here, where the victim's targeted because of their race. It appears that way. Rose Shiflett uh, with another question. How did this Hazlitt guy get caught? Love the show, love the best guest. Uh, because this woman, only known as TJ, 22 years old, was able to escape uh, when, of all things, Timothy Hazlitt, this suspect, in custody when he was taking his young son, I believe eight or nine years old, to school, so he's doing this in a house with a child, which is uh, extra uh, sickening here. Um, so, this 22-year-old, um, again, only identified as TJ, when she escaped, she told people, not authorities right away, but other people, uh, and they recounted it to police, that she believed Timothy Hazlitt had killed at least two people. Um, and they sort of, according to all reports, ignored this. She had never actually seen anyone in the house. Um, and the Excelsior Springs police chief, whose last name is Dull, and let me find you his first name so I can appropriately, uh, his name is Gregory Dull, the Excelsior Springs police chief. When he was asked about, you know, what was going on here when she said at least two others were killed, he said, and I quote here from the chief, she was repeating what Hazlitt had told her. Now, was he telling her this to manipulate her and control her, or was it true? At this point, we still don't know. Um, Phil Ramos, this gets really complicated. Um, you know, you don't need a psychology degree to know that if you're held captive for a month, you know, your, your captor starts to exert control over you. Um, how do you know if he was just saying things to her um, or if he really did kill these people, but now this, this body washes up. So that kind of, um, you know, that, that, that complicates things even more, even though police right now are not connecting necessarily that blue barrel body, um, of Janie Crosdale to Timothy Hazlitt. But how do you know whether he was telling the truth to this woman or if she was just being controlled? You know, that's the question, isn't it? Um, that goes back to the credibility and corroborating evidence or statements that your witnesses make. Um, it, he may very well have told her that just to, you know, put the fear of God into her so that she wouldn't try to escape. Um, we don't, we don't know that. That's one of the things that the investigators are going to certainly have to follow up on. And then they'll be, they'll be talking to uh, TJ for a long time and, and asking her exactly that. Do you know that this was, uh, an incident that happened, or did he tell you this? And and if he told you that, do you believe him? You know, after a while, uh, you know, with her being, I think it was a month that she was chained up in there, 
her state of mind is going to be pretty bad when she's when she escapes and when they when the first initial responders talk to her and and start getting the information from her. But by now, certainly the uh, investigators have spent a lot of time with her, and a lot of that time will determine how much information they get from her. It's it's, it's hard to say how uh, a victim is going to react in a situation like that. Hopefully, they'll they'll do their best and give the the cops the most accurate information that they can. Sometimes they just can't do it, and sometimes they just climb up and, and, and don't want to say anything for their own reasons. And, you know, you can't fault them for that. She's been through hell. Um, regardless of what kind of lifestyle she had, um, it, it, it's just like Lisa said, that they're still human beings, whether they're drug addicts, prostitutes. You know, their lifestyles may put them in a, in a high-risk situation, but that doesn't mean they don't deserve a more the most competent and thorough investigation that anybody else could get. Well said. And what we're seeing some of that in the Long Island serial killer case with accused suspect uh, Rex Hewerman. Uh, they were, you know, marginalized sex workers. Uh, the case was unsolved for 13 years. And who knows how far back uh, these killings go. And obviously they're looking at cases in Phil Ramos's home city of Los Vegas, as well as South Carolina, uh, New Jersey, my home state and others. Uh, hey, Mona says, can you imagine someone running up to your door like that? Uh, they're talking about the 22-year-old surviving uh, victim, TJ. Um, to that point, Lisa Daddio and Phil talked about this. He said, you know, investigators are going to try to glean as much information as they can from uh, TJ. But how do you talk to her? Because uh, she's been to hell and uh, probably is, you know, she's definitely... I hate to use this word, scarred for life from what she's been through. So how do you how do you go about the interview process with her? Yeah. So again, like everybody else that's on this podcast, many years of um, investigating sexual assaults, personally um, being forensically trained on how to conduct interviews of sexual assault survivors. Um, I'm not going to call them victims; they're survivors, and knowing how to best talk to them and let them have control of the interview of the situation and, and go where unfortunately you have to go with them to get the information. But, you know, by doing so you're making them relive the horror. So being cognizant of that, I've always was really, um, I always wanted to give control back to my victims when I interviewed them and let them go however long they wanted to go in the interview and, and being incredibly compassionate and empathetic. Um, one sexual assault is horrific. A month long um, being, I just can't even imagine, starved, beaten, repeatedly sexually assaulted. It is just horrific. And she has to live that. When she goes to sleep, if she does go to sleep, those images are still going to be there. So being always supportive of that having experts there to help you, um, clinicians, mental health workers, people that are really trained on how to deal with trauma victims and working with her to get as much information as you can. And it has to be her pace. We can't rush this. There may be something that her memory is keeping kind of back in order to protect her uh, that may come out some way. So working with true professionals on how to deal with victims that have gone through something as horrific as she did. Uh, I can't I can't fathom it. Uh, I don't think anyone can unless you've been in her shoes. Uh, Pepper Pot says, uh, yay, we've got all four nations representing tonight. Wales, Ireland, Scotland and England. Whoop. 
uh, we are an international show. And in Je- Jersey, Jen Castaldi, the level of support from our global community just blows my mind. Great job, Joel. That has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with them. And I love it. And Ken, some guests get nicknames. Ken Doll, that's your new nickname. Barbie's all the rage. Haven't seen it. My wife and kids saw it. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, Ken Larson, to you, uh, this is a quote from Chief Dull of Excelsior Springs. This is one of those cases that keeps you up at night. Uh, My personal opinion, he's done more than what he's already charged for. And he's only charged, by the way, in uh, the 22-year-old sex assault and rape case, not in the barrel where the woman was found. Uh, And he goes on to say, but being able to prove that is a totally different thing. Um, I don't know if you have children, but if you're investigating this case, I mean, this is horrific. How do you keep the emotion out of this one specifically and stay focused? I'm always fascinated by that because you guys are human beings too. And this is kind of the worst of the worst. Um, you know, you, I would just immediately think, well, you know, my daughter, God forbid, but how do you keep the emotion out of it when you're going through, uh, investigating a case of this, of this nature? I think two things. One thing I want to comment on that uh, that Phil and Lisa said earlier is, um, and then I'll answer your question is is about control, right? Everything is about control, and in this particular case, it was the ultimate control. She was controlled physically by a chain around her neck, and then when you when you ask the question about hey, I've killed before, or I know if you don't do this, I will kill you. That's the ultimate mental control, right? So this person is totally in control, both physically and mentally. And for for as long as she was in there, um, uh, God bless her, I don't know how she's going to, the professionals are going to have to do that. But the answer to your question is yes, uh, I do have children. I have three. And I tell you, it, it it does a couple things. Um, one thing it does do is it makes you appreciate you have your children, right? And makes you appreciate, uh, the love and care. And it also goes, and I guess I could could speak for Phil and everybody else that it goes beyond just this one case, right? In this particular case, it's so graphic. Yes. It's so in detail. Yes. But it goes beyond the other case that I got called in on Tuesday and, uh, Tuesday morning at two in the morning and the one that was last month. It goes beyond that, and I don't know. I can really only speak for me, but you have to build a mental block of this is work, and because you're not going to if you, if you let it consume you, you're not going to get you're not going to reach a good conclusion in the case, right? Not just in the case, but other things are going to suffer, right? You are going to suffer. Your marriage is going to suffer. We know that during our course of our career, we have given up so much. We did it because we chose. I'm not I'm not saying that because, oh, yeah, I'm a victim. I gave up so much. I chose this profession. Or I, actually, I'd like to say the profession chose me when I was a young kid. This is all I really wanted to do. And I've lived out my dream. And I still now, as I'm retired, I still think about the monsters that are out there. And this guy is a monster. And he's just one of thousands and thousands of monsters that are out there. So um, it, it kind of, it, I think it drives us, 
but to separate it from our own personal lives, you have to work on that and you have to figure that out. How you do it, you just appreciate what you have. If you have, there are so many times in our lives where we're going to miss that baseball game. We're going to miss that concert. And as you get older, that affects you, right? I wasn't at that concert. I wasn't at that baseball game. And I made an effort to go to all the events that I can. Um, but this it's, it's, it's something that you constantly have to work with. Because as the chief said, this, is, this case will haunt him. But I guarantee you, everybody in this podcast, we could think of other cases that have haunted us. We could think about the details, the smell, the taste, every little thing that's out there in specific cases, we will never, ever forget. And then on top of that is the ones that we have not been able to solve. Um, that keeps you up at night. And, and you even have dreams like, oh, I forgot to do this on that particular interview. And I'm thinking that particular interview was in 1994, for God's sake. Right? <laughs> And so we have to, it's a constant struggle, but it's important to baby, to appreciate what you have, but you have to divide the job and personal life. Beautifully said. And this is why I love law enforcement. You just heard Ken talking about, he'll think about an interview from 1994. These guys live, eat, and breathe this. Um, my friend Chris Anderson, Chief Anderson from First 48, getting the chills right now. Uh, he talks openly about how he started drinking on the job early on to cope with things. Because we forget that law enforcement officials are not superheroes. And uh, they deal with the emotional side of all this. And Chris, his second book, his first book is The Case, which you should buy. But his second book is going to be called Man, You're Crazy. And it's all about the mental health side of policing. Um, and that is equally important. Um, went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think it is important. Um, Lisa Daddio, even more important, the two victims in this case, uh, the one who escaped the sex dungeon and the one now found in a barrel who's not been directly linked yet to Timothy Hazlitt, but things are pointing in that direction. Neither of them were reported missing. Um, and Nightwood here says, did Hazlitt target sex workers? Uh, do you think that he did? And what do you have to do if you're police? I know these are a lot of questions, but what do, you, what do you have to do with police? Because these are not necessarily people that are reported missing. So honestly, I'm going to do a public uh, awareness campaign and, and hit everything uh, on social media, on the news, asking uh, people who may have heard things to come forward or if you're missing loved ones to come forward. Now that's going to open up a can, right? Because then you're going to get all this stuff coming in and how are you going to go through all that? That's number one. But you also have to remember that not everybody has access to social media, to TVs, to the internet, if they're homeless um, or they're living on the streets. So you can't assume that as well. So that means putting, we call it the boots on the pavement, right? Getting out there and talking and walking and actually communicating with the individuals that are working the streets. They know, they know exactly what's going on. And again, you have to have a relationship. If you personally don't have it, go to someone in your agency that does have it. Somebody talks to these people on the streets um, and respects them. And there's this mutual respect that they'll tell you anything. 
they all know that creepy person. And we'll say that creepy guy who's like, don't ever go with the guy in the blue car. He's a freak. He's this or that. Talk to those people to get the information out there. There's more victims. We have to find them. We have to identify them and we have to support them and not discount them because of mental health, substance abuse, or the fact that they're a sex worker. That's a bunch of BS. You know, they deserve to be heard, to be investigated, and for information to come from them. Well said. Uh, Betty Dawson and Phil Ramos was about to tell you that he agrees with what I'm about to say. I'm officially hooked on STS in this community. I would say better to be addicted to STS than crack cocaine. Ramos worked narcotics for a lot of years, and he is smiling, but he agrees. I know he does. Um, Coco and Kittens, um, he was openly racist, and his victims are all black women. It's not rocket science. So he was posting on social media. He was posting some uh, racist rantings. Uh, what does that do to the equation, uh, Phil Ramos? Because now, you know, it's it, this sexual assault takes on even deeper meaning, you know, that he was probably acting out aggression and hate. Um, what about that component of this entire investigation that it could be race related? Well, it certainly could be. Um, and uh, if it is, they, they will probably enhance the investigation to include um, that the enhancement of, of uh, the racial component to it. But I think just just reading between the lines, this um, this Haslett guy was uh, patronizing prostitutes, and uh, once he has in his mind a specific type that he that he's attracted to, you know, it, it could be who knows, girls that wear short skirts or girls with long blonde hair. It, it, it's hard to say, um, but there there certainly appears to be a racial component to this, and um, They'll be looking into that. They'll, they'll be certainly looking into that to see if they can make it a hate crime. Um, but, you know, with, without knowing any more information than what, what's been divulged by the cops, it, it, it's really hard to say. They may very well be working on one or two other cases and not want to reveal that because they're trying to make an association there. And you have to have that certain amount of holdback so you don't jeopardize your other investigations or jeopardize this one. And um, with him already having a, a either a prelim date or a trial date, I think it's in September, they sure don't want to jeopardize the case they have on him right now. So they're going to keep things close to the vest until it's absolutely necessary to, you know, get enough probable cause for a warrant, submit the warrant, hopefully it gets approved, and they'll get another case on him and, and you know, bring him up on other charges if they're able to do that. But now that they've got a, a, a current investigation that they're working on, they don't want to jeopardize that one by being too public with other things that they may have associated him with. Uh, Lucy Bell says, is there a GoFundMe uh, for the victims? Not that I know of. There needs to be one uh, that rings very true that there does, especially uh, for this surviving victim, just 22 years old. And someone pointed out she only weighed 70 pounds when she escaped that house, which is a really depressing thought. Uh, I did not know this, uh, Ken. Uh, I'm assuming that seven is correct. We have the best community in all true crime. Janie uh, Crosdale, who's the woman who now washed up in this barrel, was on countless news channels talking about this case. Not only her, but a young man. I don't remember his name. Uh, that could obviously tie into why they put her on a billboard as a witness. 
Uh, similar question to you. I mean, she's an interesting figure in this case. Um, you know, do you think she was working or talking to police? And I know this is just kind of conjecture at this point. Um, could she have been um, targeted because of that potentially? I think it's rather obvious. I mean, she's she's out there as far as um, wanting to be interviewed. She's saying that uh, uh, she has information. She's publicly going out there and saying it, and then she disappears. I don't know that much about her except the fact that, you know, she is found in a blue barrel in water, and there's numerous blue barrels in that house. I mean, for me, that just... Uh, Either she has either been in there, she knows him, she's heard about him, or something that she was she was a threat to him. She was a threat to his freedom. Uh, it certainly sounds like that. But I, again, to be honest, I don't want to speculate. Uh, but uh, um, her being in the blue barrel, and then the blue barrels being found, multiple blue barrels being found at that house. At least tells me something, you know, that there's a there's a connection there. And I don't again I'm not saying he's a serial killer, but there's something there that's uh, uh that we need to know more about. And Ken, why aren't the blue barrels alone enough right now to connect him to this crime? Um maybe they are. Okay. They could be, but they're not gonna come out and tell you that. Okay. They have and to be they have they have to be tight lipped. Uh and, and I know the community doesn't like that. Uh, they have to be very strategic, and when they go and they have their press conferences, they have to have the right person to do it. They have to limit it to a certain number of questions, and they have to be able to push information to the community because they have a right to know. And, of course, they have the right to know. They want to know. They want to know uh, all the details, but they also you don't want to jeopardize any future cases just based on the loose lips of a spokesman or something like that. So um, it doesn't mean that they're being tight-lipped because there's some conspiracy or something like that. They're getting, I'm sure they're getting their marching orders from a prosecutor. Uh, uh, and I think from what I understood, they've done a great job in collecting resources, um, other resources at the state police. I think the FBI was there. They've done the right thing to say, you know, we're, we have, as we all know, we have to drop our egos. When I say we, I mean the department that we work for. We have to drop our egos and say we have something here that's really bold and maybe out of our control. And I want to get as much resources as I can. Now, when you do that, when you get a bunch of resources together, you get a bunch of egos together, they butt heads sometimes. Um, Everybody wants to know who's in control, who's here. That happens. That's just, that's not in TV or whatever in movies. That's in reality. But um, for everybody to work together and to get the resources together uh, is going to ultimately solve, it sounds like in this particular case, uh, other other cases that are out there. The one thing uh, that I love that uh, Phil, Ken, Lisa all have in common, they're all low key not excitable, unflappable. Us media people, we're all histrionic and crazy. And uh, these guys are level-headed. And uh, that's what you have to be to be a good investigator. I guess I wouldn't have been. Uh, Julie Fitzgerald says, it's race and misogyny. Copper horse from New Jersey, my home state. 
racist, sado, uh, sadomasochistic serial killer. What a mashup. Um, this is uh, quite the interesting case um, with a suspect uh, that uh, people fear could be a lot worse uh, than we know of right now. Uh, we, and we don't know, as Ken just pointed out, uh, exactly what, what police do know. So we're waiting to find out. Now, uh, we haven't really talked about the specifics of Janie Crosdale. So she is the woman that was found in this blue barrel. Um, the second week of August, the Clay County prosecutors uh, came out and announced a uh, new development in the case, uh, positively identifying her. The, the barrel had washed up a few months before in June. All they knew at that time, it was a 36-year-old black woman. Uh, and as we said, she had appeared on billboards back in January simply uh, with her photo, by the way, uh, and saying that police wanted to question her. This barrel was found about 65 miles east of Kansas City by some kayakers who are probably uh, pretty shook up from that as well. And it took police a month to ID this woman because she was in the water, as Detective Ramos says, uh, that water and uh, bodies do not go well together um, from a, a decomposition you know, standpoint. But uh, Phil Ramos, specifically this this now dead victim, um, what do you do with the remains of the body? We don't know how much is there in this barrel. Um, how do you act on that? I'm assuming everything has been sent to a lab. You're checking for DNA. And, and I mean, but but what does water do to the situation? Oh, it just makes it so hard. Um, you know, DNA is so prevalent in just about everything, but water really does a lot of damage to DNA. I'm hoping that they're able to get a full profile from her, uh, from her remains. I, I understand that she was identified through dental records. So that tells me that they haven't had much success with getting her profile and get that entered in the CODIS. But, um, you know, DNA is a tricky thing, man. It, you could get a nice big profile in 10 days. And I've had cases that have taken months to a couple of years just to get a profile. So, you know, God bless those scientists that we have working on that. And they're very dedicated. And if there's, if there's DNA to be found, they're, they're going to find it. But I would, I would hope that at her autopsy, they came up with the cause of death. Maybe they didn't. You know, that's one of the other things that water does. It, it could really um, eliminate a lot of evidence. Um, you know, the soft tissue could have been worn away, eliminating any evidence of either uh, stab wounds, gunshot wounds. Uh, it, hopefully they got a cause of death at the autopsy. That that will help them a lot. You know, that's uh, that, that thought that um, this may have been some sort of revenge for what she was saying and being very public about what she was saying. Uh, man, I hope that's not the case because that, um, that could really play into the defense of uh, Haslip. You know, some sharp defense attorney is going to pick up on that and say, well, isn't it possible that she was running at the mouth and somebody else decided to take, uh, you know, take revenge on her? And, you know, you just never know what these defense attorneys are going to come up with. And I hope that's not the case. I really hope that's not the case. That's a really interesting point, though, uh, one that I obviously didn't think of, but uh, the defense uh could use that for fodder. Um, Catherine McMartin, please give a synopsis of the case for those who are unaware of it. Uh, the two-line Cliff's Notes version is 
A young woman only identified as TJ uh, back in October 22 escapes from what is described as a sex dungeon in the suburbs of Kansas City. She has a collar around her neck. The man holding her, uh, he took his young boy to school. She runs out to a neighbor, tells police uh, they think other people could be involved. There are blue barrels in his home. We're getting to those blue barrels in a little bit. Uh, you fast forward from October to June and a body washes up in the Missouri River. Kayakers find it. And uh, she is identified as Janie Crosdale. Uh, and she was a woman that police were talking to. Uh, and that's pretty much where we're at. And uh, they're trying to figure out if Timothy Hazlitt Jr., the man who had this 22-year-old in the sex dungeon, is also responsible for the woman in the blue barrel who uh, did not make it through her ordeal. Um and here's a question from I am not T Payne from a law enforcement perspective. What would you be doing to try and substantiate the claims made by the victim that escaped that there were possibly people who were murdered by him? Lisa Daddio, that one's for you. Again, it kind of goes back to what I've said a couple times. Um, the big issue here is that nobody reported these two victims missing. So how many other people are missing that were not reported missing. And so we don't know the scope of our victims because no one ever reported them missing to begin with. Um, so that's a huge issue that we have. Um, you know, it, it comes back to pleading with the public, utilizing every way imaginable that if you have a missing loved one or family member that has mental health issues that is homeless that you know is a sex worker to plead and you haven't heard from them to please let us know and assign a group of individuals of investigators to that to kind of run that stuff down to see what's going on and try to figure out how many other people may be missing i doubt you know and joel i've been on here i said the plus one rule right so if you have one victim in a case like this there are others the plus one. And so where are they? We have a survivor and we have someone that's probably connected to this guy who is deceased. How many other victims and when did it start? Hmm. Um, Jenny Meow Meow for you, Ken. Um, this is an interesting question. Hate crime or fetish, is it possible they're both at the same time? It's an interesting question because this guy is an alleged racist, yet he is, you know, sexually assaulting them. How do you square the two, Ken? I think personally, you'll find a lot um, in his digital work, as far as his background, as far as what sites he's going, if he his social media, if he's doing social media sites. All of this leads to his intent, right? In any crime. If you don't have intent, it's obviously if you have a crime, somebody's dead here. Yes, a person's dead and this person's responsible for it. But our ultimate goal is to find the intent of why he did it. So whether it was a fetish, whether he was a, um, a, a, a racist that attacked certain people, we don't know that yet, right? Um, that's, that's tough to determine. Intent is the number one um, uh, goal of what you want to do to any type of case such as this. So 
it takes, uh, like Lisa says, it's going to take some legwork to go talk to these other people. It's like, uh, talk to his friends, go back to his history. Um, just for an example, I think somebody had said in, in one of the uh, YouTube channels, I think some brief history that I did today before I got on, uh, that he was bullied, right? So you have, we have to, as professional, thorough, unbiased investigators to go and find facts about him. And how do you do that? Boots on the ground, man. And, and go back to his history, past girlfriends, past relationships, uh, parents. And that's all going to lead up to your question. And, the, and, and to get the answer to that is whether uh, it was a sexual sadist or whether he was a racist and he picked, he picked blacks uh, or African-Americans to be the victim. Well, in this particular case, victims. Um, we don't know that. And only facts are going to lead into that. But it takes work. It takes a lot of work. Uh, Tara Perry caught my first live. Love this show. Served 17 years in prison from age 16 to 32 for a juvenile adult sentence. I have so much respect for the level of empathy provided by SAS for all walks of life. Tara, you are uh, welcome here anytime. Uh, sorry you had to go through that. Hopefully lessons are learned. And uh, STS Nation is uh, one of the most empathetic groups of people, why I love them. And look at that. Speaking of this, Catherine Regier, who sent me sent me a gift basket before the Maui wildfires. She lives in Maui. Aloha, Joel, SGS Nation, best guest in Hidden True Crime, just dropped in to say thank you for the love and support for Maui. I have such an enhanced respect for Kerry. Uh, it's not just a story. We're talking about Kerry Ross and our friend, who is the daughter of Dennis Rader the BTK serial killer. Uh, Catherine, hope you're doing well. I'm going to touch base with you uh, via email and uh, check in on you after this weekend. Uh, hope your guys are doing a lot better. We're going to do another show uh, for Maui. And a shout out to Tracy Fuller for the super sticker. Uh, Lisa, daddy, back to you. And uh, I think Phil or Ken brought this up. But um, as far as we know, there's no cause or manner of death that we know of. Maybe police know uh, from this woman, Jamie Crosdale, in the blue barrel, um, if they really don't have one, how problematic is that for the investigation? Oh, it, it can be hugely problematic. Not knowing the laws that are out there, I mean, there are other things possibly that you can charge somebody with if you can make the connection to him, to the barrel. Again, we don't know, right? All we have right now is what we call circumstantial evidence, the blue barrel. Blue barrel victim was found in, they're looking for uh, Janie, relative to TK, I mean, uh, TJ. And, and so all this kind of loose connections currently. But you have to remember, there's a lot more to this case that are not being released to the public because it would jeopardize the case. And that's every investigation. This It's not just this one. And so while we want all the information, we can't give you all the information because it's going to hurt the case. So, you know, kind of looking at, I mean, if, if you know for sure how they died, you know whether or not it was natural and somebody just disposed of a body or if it was a homicide, obviously criminality to it. If it was a suicide, again, you have body disposal. Um, but we could all sit here and say, well, why would you get rid of a body that way? Listen, I've seen some crazy stuff before that I can't relate to why somebody did what they did. Um, but decomposition really hurts cause and manner of death. 
and a body that was in a barrel. And again, I don't know if the barrel was sealed. If it wasn't sealed, it doesn't matter. It's decomposition. Water is going to do a lot of damage to a body if it's exposed. Uh, if it was in the barrel, kind of airtight, and the body's just naturally decomposing without the element of water in marine life, it's better than the water in the marine life um, feeding upon and doing damage to a human body. Um, so we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. I'm going to hope forensically that there's evidence um, on Janie's body, uh, on her clothing. It's quasi-preserved or Janie's DNA. And I know there's been some information that have come in that Janie was at his house previous to miss going missing, um, that we have information and able to get connections to that again, but it's still circumstantial. Um, Mo Dean, America's favorite troll. I can't tell if he's making fun of us because I plugged the store, but that is for Maui. Uh, does SDS Nation have a merch store? Space Coast taking care of that. There's a link. If you go to Instagram at Surviving Survivor or our YouTube channel, uh, you can find it there. Uh, Mo Dean, behave yourself. There it is. The, uh, the, uh, store there. Um, Phil Ramos, to you, this is an interesting question, and uh, we'll bring this back down here. Um, again, from I Am Not T-Pain, she's always asking questions. I love it. Uh, by the way, Dr. Vonda Kay is asking, have we shown the billboard with uh, Janie yet? We made a conscious decision not to show that billboard out of respect to her. Um, she is now deceased. That billboard went up. There was a lot of controversy about it. I'm sure you can Google it and find it, but we're not putting it up. Uh, would investigators, uh, Phil, be interviewing this young son, eight or nine years old, to potentially find out if he saw anything while living with his dad, Timothy Hazlitt? And I'll add another question. How do you interview an eight or nine-year-old son of a suspect in a horrific case like this? Well, yeah, they will, but not, the, not unless you are specially trained uh, to conduct forensic interviews, especially with young children like that. Um, you know, the, the uh, everyday detective doesn't have that level of training. You know, we get certain level of training in interviews and interrogations, but you have to have specific training to interview young children like that. And, um, you know, you have to handle it so delicately depending on their age and, and uh, you know, their level of maturity for whatever age they are. So, yeah, the quick answer is, yeah, they'll talk to him but it's gonna take a specially trained investigator to speak to a juvenile about something as heinous as this. Um, God, I can only pray that he didn't hear noises or had any inclination that there was something going on at daddy's house, or, you know, in the basement. Wow, uh, I second that one. Uh, Lucy Bell, uh, Ken, for you, uh, kind of a more macro question. What resources, training, does local and since you're at the FBI, uh, federal law enforcement have to address cultural competence needs of victims of racially motivated hate crimes? A great, a great question. Uh, Phil just talked about training uh, for interviewing juveniles, but what about this kind of training? And that's a great question. Um, I think I can only speak from my history was um, I have to deal with facts, right? I only deal with facts. Give me facts. As far as any uh, racial overtones, that goes to intent. But I have to deal with facts, statements, forensic, any type of forensic uh, 
So, uh, and then it goes back to if it's, if it's a racially motivated um, type of crime, hate crime, you have to delve into that um, type of, uh, again, it goes back to intent. Was his intent racially motivated or was his intent sexually or violent? So as far as training is concerned, that's why you bring in as much resources and as much expertise as you can. Because a lot of times, I think I've said it before, we as officers, law enforcement officers, detectives, TFOs, task force officers, we need to check our ego sometimes. And especially when it comes to, like you just mentioned, like um, interviewing a four-year-old. Hey, I'm just going to check my ego here. I'm going, I am not an expert going to be talking to this kid. So uh, I am going to have to check my ego, reach out to the experts. Um, if I If I don't believe that I have been sufficiently trained to handle a type of intent crime, I'm going to reach out to somebody else and I'm going to need, I'm going to need some help. Um, so the training to, to answer your question is, I, I don't think that, uh, um, well, I can't speak. Uh, I don't want to speak out of turn, but training is, is, is paramount for all of us uh, to, uh, to get as much training as we can. Uh, someone asking, uh, I'm not even sure I just lost it. Uh, no, here it is. Madeline bullet. Um, how in the world could he possibly have custody of such a young child? Where's his mother? I don't know the answer to uh, either of those questions, to be honest. Um, but that's, uh, they're great questions uh, to be asked. Um, Phil Ramos, back to you here. Um, this is where it gets even more complicated. So the public defender for Timothy Hazlitt, and this might've been a chess move of sorts, a legal chess move. Her name is Tiffany Winningham. She's with the Missouri Public Defender's Office. She says that this victim, Janie Crosdale, who washed up in the Blue Barrel, was actually at Timothy Hazlitt's home. She said that the two met for consensual sex and refused to comment any further. Now, you're investigating this, Phil Ramos. Um, you're trying to figure out if there's a connection, and the public defender comes out and tells you this guy was, that this woman who now washed up and is dead in this blue barrel was at this suspect's house. What, what do you do? Well, I would imagine that the cops already knew the answer to that. Um, you know, I don't want, I don't want to jump on the bash the defense attorney's bandwagon, but I'm not surprised by a comment like that. So, um, if the cops had contact with Janie early on, they will have known whether he, whether she was in that house. And that may very well be why they considered her a witness initially to this, because she may have had some sort of casual relationship with, uh, with Hazlitt. She may have known him from the streets or, or wherever. Um, if she was there, then she would have very likely told the cops that she was there. I don't think she's just going to come out and, uh, tell the world without having told the cops first. And, you know, that goes back to credibility and corroboration of your witnesses. Um, she, so she, she could have said, yeah, I was there. So the cops would have to independently corroborate that that's, she's telling the truth. Um, describe the house, describe him. Is there anything unique? Uh, did you know about the basement? Did you, you know, what about his kid? Did you ever interact with his kid? Ask, ask them questions to 
see if they can answer competently or back up what they're saying. And if they can't, then their credibility takes a hit there. Uh, but, you know, defense attorneys can say absolutely anything they want. We've all experienced that. And they don't have to back it up one bit. They don't have to prove anything. The burden of proof is on the prosecution and the cops. They don't have to say a thing. You could tell that Phil Ramos has uh, been on the other side of that, uh, those savvy defense attorneys in Las Vegas. And I'm sure it can be really frustrating. Hidden true crime, letting us know that there was an awful custody battle between Timothy Hazlitt and his wife, and he won custody, but now that child, thank God, is uh, back with his mother, and, uh, you know, doubt his life will ever be the same, even at this young age, but let's hope, uh, as Phil said, that he saw and heard very little. Tali Schechter, again, lest you think we're not global, coming to us from the Holy Land, from Israel, saying hello to the chief of everything who corrected our audio issue at the beginning of this show, and uh, Tali says, I never say she's a friend of the show. Tali, you're a friend of the show. Um, Lisa Daddio, back to you here. So this is hard to believe, but, you know, police are being, the media is still asking police about this victim, Janie Crosdale. Is it a homicide? And they, they haven't definitively said yes, because they don't have the evidence to bring forward yet. But the quote was from the, the chief, Chief Dull, she didn't get in the barrel by herself, and we're following wherever the evidence leads in that case. Um, interesting comment. He obviously, my sense is he wants to come right out and be able to say to the media and the public, this is a homicide. We're closing in on this guy. How difficult is it when you have to say she didn't get in the barrel by herself and you have to kind of tiptoe around everything? Yeah, again, you don't want to kind of put the cart before the horse, right? So you're waiting for more evidence to say one way or the other. Kind of what I alluded to somewhat about, you know, is it just a body disposal? Highly unlikely, but we don't know until we have all the facts and evidence to it. Or is it, in fact, to the chief's comment, she didn't get in the barrel by herself. Um, and, and so he has to be careful, but yet he's getting pressure to make the connection, Right. And so, and now this case is blown up, rightfully so. Um, and more people are saying, hey, there's other victims out there and we need to find out who those other victims are. And you want to encourage people to come forward and yet not say you have a, another, or not, I shouldn't say another homicide, you have a homicide uh, without having the evidence to say it's a homicide and then be able to charge. So you have to wait. Mm. Uh, Jody Johnston, the chief of everything, must have a wonderful sense of humor to compliment Joel's. Um, she's not that funny. I'm definitely funnier. Um, she can be funny. She's a, uh, how would I describe the CEO? She's um, she's like the Energizer Bunny. She's always full of energy and uh, she's sarcastic and she keeps me in check and I keep her in check. So it works out. Well, and most importantly, she corrects audio issues. Uh, this is a great question from Nightwood. Did Hazlitt have help? That's something that's come up. But um, back to you, Ken. So to the blue barrels, finally, a few more things. and I promise we're going to wind it up. I always say that. Uh, so obviously part of the investigation involves this set of blue barrels. What's interesting is that the barrel that Janie Crosdale was found in is eerily similar to the ones at, uh, at Timothy... Uh, Hazlitt's home. Um, they reportedly have rubber seals on top, which is interesting because Lisa talked about 
if she was airtight in there, maybe the body uh, didn't compose, decompose as badly as in water. But uh, they had rubber seals on top and they appear to have been advertised for commercial use, such as storing solvents and petroleum products. He was, I think, a railroad worker, um, Timothy Hazlitt. How important is it to get to the bottom? No pun, I really did not mean to make a pun there, but how important to get to the bottom of these barrels here, um, Ken, and really, you know, if, if you can match them directly to his home, uh, is could that potentially be the winning ticket for the uh, investigators and the prosecution here? It sounds like the blue barrels are industrial type barrels, correct? So yeah. I would go simply with how he purchased them. We have to do homework. We have to go, whether they're doing it at Home Depot or he has an online account where he's getting them delivered. You go talk to the delivery people uh, who delivered these barrels. How many times has he delivered them? Um, how many times has he gone to Home Depot, Lowe's, or whatever company that's out there that he picked up these barrels? Um, what were, what would be any legitimate reason why this guy had these barrels? Was he, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, until you mentioned he was, what, what was I, think, he? I believe a rail, I believe a railroad worker. Would there be a legitimate purpose for him to have these barrels at his home as a railroad worker? Or I guess I understand that he was also maybe a mechanic or something. Um, it takes the legwork. I mean, it takes the boring legwork of going through receipts, going to knock on doors, going to distributors, and finding out how many of these industrial blue barrels have been shipped to this house or is there an ongoing account. And that'll give you a good gauge uh, as to whether he's had two of them shipped to his house or he had 40 of them shipped to his house. Uh, so I think the blue barrels are going to be a, a, a you know, a, clearly a big, uh, a big part of this case, given the fact that she was in the barrel and disposed of, uh, and then the other ones were removed while they did the search. So, and, and, and again, also bottom line, and this is all speculation, we like to sit here and speculate, but we don't, we don't really know what this guy's telling them. I mean, he could be totally cooperating. We don't know. We, we don't work a case based on the fact that, uh, yeah, if somebody is sitting here and he's giving up all the facts, we have to prove his facts. I mean, Bill says it best. I mean, we don't even want to speculate or give him a ounce, a crumb of a justification as to why he could build a defense or, um, like, uh, for an example, like what maybe, uh, Yes, he was over the house. She passed out, and I just put her in the barrel. I didn't kill her. I mean, that's like a little bit of a bit of a defense that they could use, right? I didn't kill her, but you know, she passed out, so I, I got scared and panicked. Those are the things that we have to, you know, uh, do the legwork, the interviewing, the looking through the receipts, looking through the computer, and find out what really is behind the, the barrels. If that makes sense. 100% does. And a couple more things, and then we're going to get some final thoughts and comments. Uh, hey, Mona raises a great question. Is there ever a legitimate reason to have weird crap in your dungeon basement? Uh, I think she's also referring to Rex Sherman. Probably not. Uh, Lisa Daddio, uh, the chief has come out and says uh, they have not ID'd anyone else. Uh, that doesn't mean that, uh, that they, I guess, there are not any other um, victims at this point. 
Um, he says if there are other victims, I don't believe they've been reported missing. And he went on to say uh, they would likely have complicated backgrounds that include substance abuse and uh, possibly sex work. He said, quote unquote, that's sad to me. Um, and he says, I've been hoping and praying that we would have a break in this case for some time. And I'm hopeful that if Hazlitt is at all responsible for Janie Crosdale's death, that we would be able to prove that and she'd be able to have justice uh, done in that case. Um, reading through the lines here, it sounds to me like they really don't have any other potential victims at this point, but people have come out publicly uh, in the media and said that this guy could be a serial killer. Um, with all your experience, do you think that is possible that there are other bodies, um, you know, strewn around the Missouri area near Kansas City? Absolutely. And, and again, while, you know, the chief has said that about his town, right, go outside of that. And, and, and what are the neighboring towns going a, a whatever, a hundred mile radius around that and look, uh, reach out to those agencies, which I'm sure they have to see who else, if they have any similar victimology, similar victims that have gone missing and appeal to the public again. Um, don't assume it's, it's just people in that one town um, if we're dealing with a serial killer. Look at all our serial killers in the past. Um, the majority of them have gone out of their immediate area. And we were just talking about a show what, a week or two, Joel, the same thing, you know, I think it was in Washington State that now they're making all these connections. And there was a pretty far span where uh, victims were last reported being seen and, and where they were found. So, yeah, that was in, or in Oregon. Oh, yeah. Oregon. Okay. It was yeah. four. Right, first, the state. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, no. Six, six, Northwest, you're close enough. But six, six victims, police uh, told the media very openly they were not related. And a few weeks later, they said there was a connection between four of the six. And we've been covering that. And, and that's a tough one, right? So you, you have to be careful. You don't want to say we don't think or there aren't any other victims. Because can you really say that for sure if you're dealing with a serial killer? You know, and what triggered the first victim? You know, you're going to tell me he got caught after killing one and then, you know, basically keeping a second. I don't know. You know, that's where they're going to have to really keep digging. I mean, look at what's going on right now with BTK. And, and this isn't that. Um, but now they're looking at him for more victims, possibly. And so there's always going to be that what if factor in this case. And, and the chief, I believe, honestly, he's trying to do the best he can with the information he has by giving some information, but not showing the entire case for everybody because you can't do that. And I have no doubt he is trying to do uh, the best job he can. Um, kind of the final thing here before final thoughts, uh, Phil Ramos. So uh, there's a, a an activist group um, in Kansas City uh, known as Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet, and they're an organization that works to amplify the voices of black women. That'd be a good place to donate. Shirley's Kitchen Cabinet. And uh, Michelle Watley, who is uh, the head of this, the founder, she said, there's been a great disrespect for the lives of black women throughout this whole situation. Um, and went on to say, uh, for the police department to plaster this woman's information, meaning Janie Crosdale, the one who was found dead, for the police department to plaster this woman's information, her personal information across social media in an effort to find her, it raises so many questions uh, 
And for me, it raises concerns about her safety. This is obviously, this was before she was found dead. Um, and then ultimately she is found dead. That was a very prescient comment on her part. Um, I know you addressed this a little bit before, but what about this whole issue about it being a disregard for the lives of these uh, marginalized black women? And how do you, how do you uh, convey that message to that community that you guys are doing your best to help them? Well, that's up to the, the department heads, staff, and, and, you know, implement the damage control factor. You um, obviously, you're never going to make everybody happy but you have to at least focus on the victim's families and, and make sure you have a good rapport with them because they're going to be the best source of information. So, um, you know, I guess if the short answer to that is the department has to do some, some damage control and, and admit where they uh, weren't as competent as they should have been and work on being more thorough. But, you know, with the limited information that we have, that I'm not going to cast judgment on the efforts of the investigators or the quality of the, of the investigation, because we just don't know. We just don't know what they have and what they don't have. You know, we, we have uh, we have a saying out here that, that uh, you know, Metro homicide, you don't know what we know. And that that's that just kind of hits the nail on the head. You, you just don't know what the cops know. Uh, Tina in the last 20 says, uh, Timothy Hazlitt Jr. is not a one-off killer. Uh, very quickly, just to wrap this, uh, Timothy Hazlitt Jr., he was indicted uh, back in uh, in March, I believe, uh, on kidnapping, rape, and seven other felony charges. He is 40 years old. He pleaded not guilty to the crimes. He's being held on a $3 million bond. They tried to get the judge to up it. He said, look, this guy's indigent. That's high enough. There's no way he's... Uh, getting out. Uh, neighbors said that they knew next to nothing about this guy who lived next door to him. Uh, once again, the best guess in all of true crime. Ken Larson, uh, his first time, I hope he'll come back. He's a former detective and task force officer, retired with the Fairfax County Police Department. He's also retired as a management program analyst from the FBI. Uh, let me put you on the spot for one second, Ken. Is this guy a serial killer? Uh, do they link this to the him to the blue barrel at some point? And your final thought? I think the blue barrel is a key. I couldn't tell you whether it was a serial killer. Just from basically, you know, where from what we have here, um, uh, I'm going to go back and be repetitive. It's all going to be about what they find in that router and his social media and his computer and what they find in that car. And I wouldn't be, you know, I, I don't know course because all this is speculative but um i wouldn't know what he's telling them um he, or what he has told them um so i i, I don't want to jump on the limb and tell you whether he's a serial killer or not i, I couldn't tell you hmm. good answer a fair answer uh lucy bell i'm a reporter i gotta ask and i'm gonna ask uh Ramos, the same thing. I love calling law enforcement guys by their last name because they call each other by their last name. So then I feel like one of them. Uh, Lucy Bell says, I'm not okay with the answers law enforcement are given here. Accountability is needed. Civilian steering committee power to eliminate racist uh, policies. Actors needed. This is horrible. Uh, Lucy Bell always uh, 
with interesting comments, astute comments. Uh, Detective Phil Ramos, he is a retired senior homicide detective. The truth is I'm just too tired to read his resume because it goes on for like nine pages. But uh, 35 years of service, he went undercover. He infiltrated the Cuban mob, three-time officer of the year, native, native of Las Vegas, a cool dude. He rides a Harley, and he was there for two packs autopsy and the next time i go to vegas for a ufc fight i'm taking him out to dinner uh <laughs> phil ramos is this is this guy in all your years of experience i'm not asking for a uh you know an answer is a yes or no but your gut does your gut tell you there are more bodies out there linked to this guy yeah absolutely by by definition he's not a serial killer yet but you know like ken said we just don't know he may very well turn out to be one but we just don't know enough right now there's no no question in my mind this wasn't his first time and and they're very it's very likely that there are other victims that have yet to be found and will police get to the bottom of it yeah yeah they will there's just too much evidence taken from his house and man let's not forget the digital world they're going to know every place he's been for the last 3 or 4 years and the time that he was there and what he was doing Chelsea Whitaker, Joel, are you getting dragged to a wedding this weekend? I am halfway across the country. I'm going to Idaho. It's a beautiful spot, but I'm going all the way to Idaho. Um, looking forward to it. I wanted to go an extra night to escape my kids, but uh, the COE um, rejected that idea. Sarah Adams, this is my Jersey accent. I always struggle when I say this. Tupac, not Tupac. Tupac, not Tupac. I will say that a thousand times on the flight tomorrow, so I remember Lisa Daddio, she gets the Jersey accent. She's from Connecticut. She's a retired police lieutenant with the New Haven PD in Connecticut. She spent 16 years in the detective division. She retired back in 2012, and uh, she's now at the University of New Haven teaching the next generation. Same question to you, Lisa. Do you think this guy is a serial killer? Does the case get solved? Case will get solved, and I really think there will be more victims found. May not be today, may not be tomorrow, may not be this year, but you're going to see more connections. Modine, when I'm on a panel one day, I'm going to bring you on one day, Modine. We're going to say he is a retired troll, America's most respected troll, having served 30 years in chats all over YouTube. I'm going to do that one day. Michelle Burns, uh, by the way, COE, it's like 100 degrees in here. We got to get this AC fixed. Now I'm becoming a diva like my mother. Um, got to have proper uh, air temperature. Debbie Blair, safe travels, Joel and the family. Thank you so much. Space Coast, by the way, he runs the show behind the scenes, as does Steve Cohen, who we call Meve Moen. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. SCS Nation, that is Space Coast. That's the COE's brother, everyone. That would be my brother-in-law. Someone asked me why you don't call me your brother-in-law. I don't know. It's weird. We just... He's the COE's brother. Anyway, again, programming note, the, the guy you're seeing there from Las Vegas, Phil Ramos, he's going to be on the YouTube and er anywhere you listen to podcasts tomorrow talking about his biggest case where he went and infiltrated Pablo Escobar's uh, drug operation. It's a crazy story. Sunday night, Carol Baskin of Tiger King fame, what she had to say about Carm. And then Monday night, you got Lisa Daddio talking about the Annie Lay case, a Yale grad student who went missing and then was ultimately found dead on campus, hidden in a wall. Uh, thank you all for joining. Have a great weekend. Love you, America. Love you, Virginia. I think that's where you are, right, Ken? Love you, Connecticut. Love you, Vegas. And everyone, are in
Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> <laughs> 